We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. We have not one, but two great guests for you today. Two very talented writers who, funnily enough, I actually spoke to for the first time nearly one year ago. This was very early on in back-to-back episodes of what was then called Watch with Jen and Friends. I've had them both back since and once again spoke to the two, one right after the other. So it seemed like it was just a matter of time before I had Nell Minow and William Boyle on the same episode. An accomplished lawyer and a highly readable film critic at her own site, moviemom.com, and at rogerebert.com, where she's also an editor. The friendly and fun Nell Minow has written over 3,000 reviews since the 1990s and has also penned a handful of film books, including the terrific 101 must-see movie moments, which I highly recommend. It's also the first in a series. Nell, thank you so much for being here, and how are you today? I'm fine and very much looking forward to our conversation. Oh, great. Well, it's so good to have you back alongside, of course, the richly evocative, critically acclaimed author, William Boyle, whose work includes such well-received novels as City of Margins and A Friend is a Gift You Give Yourself, which you should all read right now. I've recommended it to like so many people and they've all thanked me. So good job, Bill. (laughs) His newest (laughs) book. Shoot the Moonlight Out will be released this fall. As kind as he is knowledgeable in constantly seeking out new films, books, and music, William, who also goes by Bill, is always hunting for obscure buried treasure, some of which he's eager to recommend to us today. And we will be getting to that in a minute. But first, welcome back. How are you doing? Thanks, Jen. Um, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well. It's just so good to see you guys again. Yeah, we're thanks for having here. us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> here in this p- pandemic, we're keeping our sanity. <laughs> That's the important thing. Yeah, barely hanging on some days, it feels like, but mostly mostly doing okay. Good deal. Well, I would like to thank you both for your support and enthusiasm. It's always so great to see you and talk to you, and I was very excited to discover a few months back that you both share my affection for a man who's one of my favorite character actors, David Morse. Right before the pandemic started, I picked up a few DVDs from the Phoenix Public Library, including an actor studio set with Penn, Crow, De Niro, and Pacino. One of the discs didn't work, it was such a bummer. And also the new Kino release of The Indian Runner, which was gorgeous and really great to revisit. I hadn't seen it since the 1990s. I'd been toying with writing something in depth on the film for months, but then this fall, after the success of my Willem Dafoe piece and my Mickey Rourke episode with Bill, suddenly I got the idea to focus exclusively on Morse, both on the pod and in writing. And you were two of the first people to reply that you dug the idea and were as excited about it as I was. Additionally, you both had such clever, clear suggestions about which films and roles meant something to you that didn't get discussed much, and I thought that was a great approach as well. My opus on Morse, which went way too long and found its way on two different sites, the DVD Netflix blog with some overflow analysis on my website just went up this week, and I'm sure by now people are 
probably a little too familiar with my thoughts on David Morse, so I want to turn it over to you guys. I want to begin first by warning listeners that in order to discuss these performances, some of which hinge on plot twists, there is a likelihood that we will be revealing some spoilers, so listeners, please proceed with caution once we start diving in. Of course, we'll get deeper into the movies you chose in a second, but starting with Nell, what is it about David Morse as an actor that you respond to, and do you remember which one of his films or roles first made an impact on you? I think the first thing I saw him in was the first thing he did, really, which was St. Elsewhere, and uh, I was a big fan of that show. Uh, there was another actor on that show that uh, I also liked uh, named Denzel Washington, and um, yeah, yeah, I think his career has gone pretty well. Uh, and uh, but but I was just really captivated by David Morse uh, right from the beginning. Um, he's got that kind of lanky guy next door American quality mm-hmm. that you see in somebody like Jimmy Stewart, where you just feel that he's he's very accessible. He's very uh, he, he allows himself to be vulnerable. And I think he very subtly but very effectively plays off of that or against it in all in some of the roles that we'll be talking about today. Um, I then saw him in his first film when it first came out, Inside Moves, which is still one of my favorites. It is an amazing film, and we will be talking about that. So sort of that was the the first and second time that I saw him and and uh, and really have followed him ever since. Very cool. And Bill, how about you? What did you find most compelling about Morse's roles early on? And was there a performance that really stood out to you? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was a little, I missed saying elsewhere. Um, otherwise, you know, that was just a little bit before my time. But probably the first thing I really took notice of him in was Homicide Life on the Street. He was oh, in an yes. episode. He was in an episode of that. Um and I think, you know, I think I'd probably seen him in a couple of things before that, but that was probably the, the thing that really um, made me kind of, I love that show. I was kind of, you know, obsessed with that show in high school. And, um, and I think The Crossing Guard came out right around that same time. Um, and I saw that, I probably saw that before I saw The Indian Runner. I had to go back and see The Indian Runner. Um because I was just, it was such a formative time for me, you know, it would have been uh, mid high school for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that the homicide, the crossing guard, and then he was just like popping up in everything at that time. He was in the getaway and he was in um, 12 monkeys and the rock. And, you know, he's in a lot of, a lot of stuff at this very formative time for me. I, I, I we talked about desperate hours when we did the Mickey Rourke episode, which is a little earlier. And I think I definitely would have seen him and take, taken notice of him in that mm-hmm. um I, I love absolutely love inside moves it's, it's one of my favorite movies too but i think i saw i came to that a little later um mm-hmm. you know i saw that because that came out in 80 i think so I, I saw that probably after i saw some of the other um mid 90s stuff and i don't you know there's just he's got this kind of tender quality mm-hmm. um hulking tenderness that is just unbelievable to me. It's just, there's not a lot of actors I can think of that, that, that do what he does. I mean, maybe like Robert Ryan, maybe some of those kind of like fifties, fifties yeah. um, guys, um, or even, you know, Brian Denning, he had that a little bit, I think um, going a little later, but he is, he's somebody that pretty much from 95, whenever that homicide crossing guard, you know, kind of back to back me me seeing those happen um he was just somebody who i could just compulsively watch and yes. was you know just no matter what the part no matter how small the part um I, like you said in your essay he was just somebody who lit up the screen for me and suddenly i like took notice and i i was maybe engaging with the movie in a way that i hadn't previously and mm-hmm. i think he does a lot with um and, and has done for a long time a lot with just kind of masculinity in, in a way that's threaded throughout his whole career. Um, True. And, and a lot of the movies we're talking about today, you can say even like movies like like Mechanic and The Slaughter Rule have that in common, mm-hmm. you know, in such a such a big way. Um, so, yeah, he's just he's been one of those 
Yeah, I have I have many favorite actors, but he's been one of those actors that I can just I just I don't know. There's there's only a handful that I feel like no matter what, my attention is on them. They are they're present. His presence is different to me in a way. And I, I've just mm-hmm. loved him for, you know, for whatever it's been now, 25 years. Yeah. I think one point that you're making that that I think is really singular about his work is that actors are generally very, very good when they're talking, but not all of them are very good when they're listening. Mm. And when you talk about how he's very present all the time. He really does sound, he, he, you feel that he's hearing what he's hearing for the first time and reacting yeah. to it, not in a distracting way, but, <laughs> but in a very real way. And I, I think that's one of his real gifts as an actor. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, he's one of the few people I can think of who moves between playing these kind of bad people and good people. And he carries the same kind of tender quality, no matter the, you know, how evil the character is or how good the character is. There's um, a there's a um, interview with him about something I haven't seen. It's a TV series where he's got very long hair and uh and he said he, that his character was supposed to be just a very one-dimensional bad guy. And he took the role because they agreed to sit down and make him more complicated, make him more conflicted, give him more reason for doing what he was doing. But he said he loves playing a bad guy. He loved having the long hair, but he wanted yeah. to make a real <laughs> character. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's and I think, you know, I, I think in, you know, the crossing guard. So to get back to your question, the crossing guard, I know you're not as much of a fan of that as you are the Indian runner. Uh, and I agree. I mean, the Indian runner is a better movie, but I, I do like the crossing guard a lot. And that performance to me is, is mm-hmm. really um, shaped a lot of my taste when it comes to that sort of character. Like, you know, somebody who subverts your expectations, who, um, who is a complicated kind of bad guy, good guy, figure and um you know i I think it's a beautiful performance and i I mean i was blown away as a kid because i knew enough about movies at that point to know here's a guy who's like blowing jack nicholson off the screen right now which is crazy to me Mm -hmm. even at the time you know yeah exactly no great points all together i think there's a generosity of spirit and he's very interested in people. There's a pathos to him, no matter who he's playing. Yeah. That makes him very compelling. Well, obviously, of course, you can feel free to discuss any movie at any time. But I thought it might be easiest to go chronologically through the titles. Let's say for one bonus film, we will get to if we have time. But right now, let's start with Morse's film debut in 1980's Inside Moves, directed by Superman and Lethal Weapon Helmer Richard Donner, starring John Savage and David Morse. It was written by then-husband and wife team Valerie Curtin and Barry Levinson, who'd received a Best Screenplay Oscar nomination for 1979's And Justice for All. It's a heartbreaking, moving, sensitive film about Rory, played by Savage, who attempts to take his own life, only to wind up disabled. After extensive operations and recovery time in the hospital, he gets out and is taken under the wing of Morse's charismatic, disabled bartender, Jerry, who's always dreamed of playing in the NBA. The Oakland's California dive bar they occupy is a home away from home of sorts for a ragtag group of disabled men who serve as each other's friends and surrogate family, but their dynamic changes when an operation suddenly makes Jerry's dreams a possibility. Inside Moves is the film that put Morse on the map. In fact, it impressed Sean Penn so much that he wrote the actor a fan letter, which Morse never received, and Penn knew that he wanted Morse for the Indian Runner from the very beginning of him developing the project. Inside Moves is a very good film. It was funny, I originally thought I had never seen this one, but once it began, as soon as Jerry or Morse began playing basketball in a quick one-on-one game early on, I realized I had seen it as a teen and some of the plot points came flooding right back. 
I will admit, maybe it's because of Curtin and Levinson's backgrounds as sitcom writers. It is a little sitcom-like at times, but still it hits me on a very personal level because I am disabled as well, so I really enjoyed it. Now, you selected this one, so I would love to start with you. What are your thoughts on Inside Moves? I'm going to get to David Morse in a second, but I just have to mention what a joy it was in watching that movie to see Harold Russell, double Oscar winner, for the best years of our lives as one of the people who comes to that bar all the time. And here you have David Morse in his first movie role, acting against some real heavyweights, some very experienced people. And uh, he just does a lovely job. He doesn't Mm -hmm. try to present this character as anything but the flawed person that he is. He's mm-hmm. in a relationship with a junkie prostitute yeah. played by Amy Wright. And he um, uh, is not honest about who he is and he's not loyal to his friends. And mm-hmm. we have to have the build up to the big, no, you're the one who's disabled because yeah. you know, <laughs> speech, but he uh, he shows us all of that in just a remarkably assured way for someone's first performance. Uh, and I want to say something about how tall he is. He's very yes. tall. A lot <laughs> of movie, poor. a lot of men in movies are not tall. We all know about, you know, Alan Ladd and Tom Cruise. And, <laughs> and I think that he, um, first of all, it makes it possible for him to play a character who's got a prayer of being in the NBA. But I think that his, his build, his, his lankiness, his tallness gives him a real asset as an actor that he's aware of and that he deploys in, in the right way. And, and you see that in this first film as well. Very true. Yeah, that's a really good point because I was always taller than the average bear and I have some uncles who are like six, eight. So yeah, <laughs> tallness runs in my family. And I think people just assume that we're all just naturally super confident people, but it's almost like, I mean, I have scoliosis anyway, but it's almost like you hunch over a little bit trying to fit in. Like I was taller than my first grade teacher when <laughs> I was in first grade and it was a man. <laughs> True story. Wow. He did wow. not like me very much. Anyway, <laughs> so you do, you feel a little insecure and Morse can play the tallness a few different ways throughout his career, and he does it really well. Like he dominates Bjork in yes. uh, Dancer in the Dark. Yes. And then there's this sort of, you know, sadness or tenderness that's used. So you guys were using those terms very effectively when you were describing him earlier. And you see that a little bit in the hunched over, like he doesn't have the confidence early on, especially in his relationship with his girlfriend. So it is interesting to see him sort of embrace the, you know, the masculine ideal or what he assumes it is as a a more able-bodied person and work height into that. Yeah, really good points. And it it plays into the listening thing I mentioned also, because if you're a tall person, you do have to bend down to listen to people. (laughs) You have to realize that people, some people are going to be kind of put off or affronted by it. And so he does, he, you know, that's, I think that's something he's really trained himself to do probably in real life as well, but that his characters do. Perfect. And Bill, I know you mentioned that you were a big fan of this. So what are your thoughts on Inside Moves? Yeah. And I just, I just rewatched it um, not that long ago because uh, the Blu-ray, I can't remember who put the Blu-ray out, Kino, maybe Kino Lorber. Um, but the Blu-ray came out last year, I think. And then it just popped up on HBO Max yeah. pretty recently. So um, I actually rewatched it a couple of times in the last maybe six, seven months. Uh, and I, I love the movie all around. I mean, you know, there's, there's very few things I like as much as a movie that kind of centers around a bar um, when mm-hmm. it's done well. Um, and, you know, I, I love that. I love the whole, crew in this movie uh you know it's it's a weird thing to think about it on some level as a david morse movie because i just when i think of him i think of him so much kind of from the 90s on and he's he's so so much a kid here in a lot of ways i mean he looks like you know a a different i mean he doesn't look like a different person but physically is tall skinny Mm -hmm. and you know by the 90s he's much more kind of bulky and imposing um uh, but I think I think his performance is 
is wonderful in this movie and i think all around it's it's just a, a knockout to me it's so funny sad i mean it came out in 80 i think but it feels very much in the spirit of like 70s cinema um you know and it the, the ending is hilarious uh i think you know <laughs> morris's morris's character is is so uh you know he i think in another actor's hands that that character could have been and he does this a lot in his career very frustrating or very yeah off-putting and he he somehow turns it around and makes you get why that character is the way he is or or at least makes you empathize with that character um and it's yeah i mean it's a it's a really wonderful movie um that you know, not enough people know it's based on a novel too, which, it, you know, it's, it's not an original screenplay. I can't remember the novelist's name, but I got it at some point. It's good. It's a good book. Um, it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's different. It's different than the film in some ways. They changed certain things because um, I, I mean, he was like a, the John Savage character is like a Vietnam vet in the book. And that's where his injuries come from. I think it's very uh. close to like cutter and bone. It's very close to cutter and bone cutters way which that character already has a really great similarity similarity to John Hurd in uh, in Cutter's way um but yeah Morse is just so so good in it and um I love the whole everything in the bar and everything you know the other thing that jumps to mind about that and and the slaughter roll too is like how multi-talented he is like he's obviously good at basketball basketball comes up in several films mm -hmm. of his um and he's also like a great singer and you know he's just just yeah. this really um clearly quietly multi-talented person and it, and i love the way it comes out in in these these films yes and really good points i think also with john savage what a remarkable performance when i watched it um recently on hbo max like i can't see him without thinking of the deer hunter because yeah. that's one of my favorite favorite De Niro performances. And so I, it's not one I can watch all the time, obviously, but it's always kind of prevalent in your mind when you're thinking of De Niro's career or especially when I see John Savage, that's where my mind goes. And at first, when I see him uh, in the film, he's walking towards the building and you know he's going to attempt to take his life. I immediately went there. I thought, oh, was he in Vietnam? I was thinking of the year this took place. Yeah. And then I wondered, like, now when you were mentioning that he had been a Vietnam vet in the movie and stuff, and I wonder if that might have been a savage piece of input, like, hey, I already played that. Or maybe by yeah. that point in 1980, they were kind of like, we had so many of the Vietnam post-Vietnam films and maybe it's time to move on a little bit but it's interesting I wondered about the tone and I wondered about the book so it was really good that you had read it and could fill us in a little yeah yeah it's been a while but um yeah I, I definitely I think that was probably partially responsible just that there had been a wave of those sorts of characters and films that they you know I can understand why they made that choice creatively I think to, to switch it up um, and it is, I mean, it is a funny, it's, you know, it's a really funny movie. Um, yeah, surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, I mean, in, in that really weird, like late seventies way, mm -hmm. like it allows, it allow you know, that tone, the tonal shifts between darkness and humor. It's really like, feels very specific to that era in, in some ways. Very true. Well, next up, we have another Nell pick written and directed by Alex Smith and Andrew J. Smith, the 2002 independent film, The Slaughter Rule, which was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival. It stars Morse in a surprising against type turn as an optimistic social misfit, a poor newspaper seller who longs to coach a six-man football team in a small dead-end town in Montana. More stars opposite the tremendous then-up-and-comer, Ryan Gosling, whom over the years in interviews, he continues to single out as one of the strongest and most impressive young actors he's ever worked with. Removed from his high school football team due to budget cuts, when Morse shows up with his pitch to put Gosling's high school senior 
of Roy Chutney back on the field as a quarterback, he is eager to say yes, only to find himself questioning that decision later on. Aiming for something closer to like the last picture show, maybe, than Remember the Titans, which also <laughs> starred Gosling. The film co-stars Kelly Lynch, Clea Duvall, and even Amy Adams in a bit part. To me, memorable, mostly for the dour yet humanistic tone, ambiguously challenging characterizations and gripping work done by Morrison Gosling. While I didn't love the film, I found myself riveted whenever the two shared a scene. Nell, what is it about the slaughter rule that speaks to you? Well, the slaughter rule is an important movie to me. Um, I was already aware of Ryan Gosling when it came out. I was mm -hmm. super interested in him. Uh, and when I heard that he was in it, that was what made me want to see it. I heard that it was a, you know, a, a, an independent film that had gotten a lot of acclaim. And, uh, and he is quite, Ray Gosling is very young in the, mm -hmm. in the movie. He's still got a little baby fat on him. Uh, but let's talk about the part that, that uh, David Morris plays. He's got, I think, three almost impossible monologues. I mean, yes. And I, 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 as an actor, I can't even imagine how he approached each of those very long speeches, which include just a cornucopia of emotions and facts. I mean, those those are three of the most challenging in any any yeah. one of them in a movie mm -hmm. would be a big deal. But he's got three and as William said, he sings in this one and he sings really well. Yes. Um, and he's playing a character to go to, again, to William's point about masculinity. This movie is all about, it's about two things yes. about Montana and masculinity, which are very closely connected. The, <laughs> it's got a real sense of place, this movie. And, uh, and the character that he plays is somebody whose masculinity is not what we usually expect to see in movies. You know, he's he's very candid with this teenager when he I says, know. I've never had an intimate relationship with a woman. I prefer to be around men. I'm not gay, but, uh, but can I hug you? <laughs> you yes, know? I've never been kissed. I've only paid for women. And it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's devastating. Quite, that is, yeah, that is quite a speech. I don't know very many actors who could have handled those monologues as well as he did and played mm -hmm. that character who leaves us, you know, questioning some of our own assumptions about yeah. about what masculinity means, what heterosexuality means, um, what it means to have a mentor. Uh, uh, Ryan Gosling's character has never had a father, so he's kind of looking for a father-type figure. Um, David Morris has never had a son. Is he looking for a son? Is he looking for a boyfriend? What is going on here? And I'm <laughs> in the middle of Montana. This is not New York. You know, they're playing out sort of all of these variations and questioning our assumptions, and so that's what I like about the movie. Great points. What did you think, Bill? Had you seen this one? Yeah, I, and I just I just rewatched it last night, so it's very fresh in my mind. Um, and I hadn't seen it before that. I hadn't seen it since it came out, which I think it came out 20 years ago now. Is it 2001 or 2002? I can't remember. 2002, so nearly 2002. 20 years. So yeah. almost, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing that kind of lingered in my mind over that time, I remembered liking it a lot. Um, and mostly I remembered, obviously, you know, early Gosling, but I love Morse. So I remember loving Morse in it and I love the soundtrack. Um, and those were the things that really stuck out. Um, and I know I, my, my friend, the writer, Chris Offit is in the film briefly. He, I, it was shot in Montana. I get, he lived in Montana at the time. Oh, wow. Um, so it was cool to revisit it for all those reasons. I mean, now having, you know, kind of gone, where where he's gone ryan gosling is obviously you know you look back at an early performance like this and see it central to his development as an actor and i wonder I, I don't know i've never read interviews with him about this but i do wonder if working with morse shaped his aesthetic in some way because it feels like he made kind of you know he obviously made creative choices after this that were kind of the same sort of creative choices that David Morse has made in his, in his career, I think. Um, and Morse is just so, I mean, I love, I love him in this movie. Um, yeah. It is not, I don't think it's a part that a lot of people could have pulled off. I think this, yeah. it could have been a very ham fisted, like 
those those monologues like in another actor's hands i can't think of a lot of people who could have made those scenes as truly genuinely emotional as they were and he's just i mean it's again it's just it comes down to him and his presence and um I think it's a beautiful performance. Um, the, the film, you know, I think the film held up really well. I, I liked it a lot, um, revisiting it. It didn't, you know, it's not like, uh, it's not a film that's super easy to see. I mean, you can mm-hmm. rent it. I rented it and it was mm-hmm. just like standard definition. It looked pretty bad. It didn't, like it was clipped off. And um, so it doesn't have like a nice high definition restoration or anything, but I, I think it deserves it because it is, it, it had again it's like this this kind of end of an era thing um like inside moves where it's early 2000s but it feels very much in the spirit of like 90s independent cinema i think um and that yeah. is character it's character driven it's dark um mm-hmm. you know it's very much not a football movie really even though it centers no. around football um you know there's very few even football scene it's a two-hour movie and there's very few football scenes actually there and they're quick when they happen you know um for the most part there's maybe three or four fairly short scenes but yeah i I think that those scenes of more singing the the scene the scene where the the that hugging scene that nell just mentioned um that one monologue where he hugs him that whole scene is uh you know i think what i when i remember this film going forward now those scenes are going to stick stick out in my memory and the scene in the diner where he shows him a scar like just these these you know more centered scenes really um are haunting i think very true when i watched it i had not seen this film and when i watched it i was kind of not really sold on the movie for a little bit i thought it was kind of aimless meandering and then when more shows up at the diner and gives Gosling this pitch. It's like he lifted the entire movie. And all of a sudden it's like, whatever, whoever this man is, whatever the story is here, like I am now focused. I thought, you know, it was kind of like a movie Nell loves, which is the music man. It kind of like when he walks in the diner and at first you're thinking of him as sort of a character like that. You're like, wow, he really knows how to work people. And then you realize what's behind it and his whole story. And I thought that was really compelling. Yeah. 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 I agree. I mean, you know, and that's that, um, at the time, I think I probably would have felt even more that way because I didn't, it was probably the first thing I saw Ryan Gosling and I would imagine. So I didn't know him from whatever kids thing he did before. Mickey before. Mouse Club. I, re- yeah. I was a little old for Mickey Mouse Club, but I remember him on it a little bit. Yeah. So I, I would imagine this is the first thing I saw him in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't remember if there would have been something before this. But for me, as, as soon as Morse came in, you know, and that that was true this time again, as soon as he comes in, it's just like you're, you know, he carries that kind of shambolic, like, broken figure you know into the movie and it's like you want to know everything about this character and i don't i didn't really care at that point i just don't care about plot i'm just like i just (laughs) i like this character i want to know more about this person and he does that all like you know with his his presence and his his um expressions and just just a, a really i think it's a really lovely performance very good. Now, did you see this? It because it played at Sundance. Like, were you covering it back then? And did you? Oh remember? no, no, no. Okay. Um, where did I see it? I think I went to see it in the theater. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. And then I did just also watch it again uh, last week to get ready for today. Perfect. I'm unfamiliar with the the men behind the movie. Are they brothers? Did they make something? They're else? twin brothers. They're twins. They're okay. Twins. Mm-hmm. They made a couple other. They're one of. They have one other movie I've seen. I think they've made two other movies. The one other movie is also Montana uh, Winter in the Blood, um, based on a great novel by James Welch, and Morse is in that too. Okay, um, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Ooh, I might have to try to track down that one. I don't think he. I, it's been a little while since I've seen it. He doesn't have as big of a part in it, but he shows up in it from what I remember. Cool. Well, this brings us to our first bill pick. Actor Martin Donovan's feature filmmaking debut collaborator, which he not only directed, but he also wrote and starred in. 
in 2011 alongside Morse, a clever indie which earned two nominations for Morse, including one at the Karlovy Vary International Film Festival. The film centers on an acclaimed playwright, played by Donovan, who temporarily trades New York for Reseda, California. When he returns to visit his aging mother, in his childhood home after his latest play earned dismal reviews. Married with children, yet in a midlife existential funk, as he begins to consider what might have been with an old love played by the wonderful Olivia Williams, he finds himself sucked into a strange high-risk standoff with his childhood neighbor who never left home in the form of a convicted felon played by Morse. Admittedly stagey, both by design and also due to the limits of the production with budget and time, etc. Still, once I suspended my disbelief about a few things, I found myself easily drawn into this film, which features Morse in a startling De Niro style role as the type of man who most of us probably would not be surprised to see, oh, storming the U.S. Capitol or something. <laughs> Needless to say, this was a timely and intense watch. So, Bill, what was it about Collaborator that interested you most? And what did you think of Donovan and Morse? Well, um, I mean, one thing right off the bat is, and this is something I guess I thought about Morris even before I fully knew what it meant. But, you know, I mean, coming to him through those Sean Penn movies, I think I had a sense, I have no background in acting or anything, but I think I always had a sense that he was like an actor's actor. Yeah. Just because of those Sean Penn, you know, you, other actors would see him and be like, I want this guy, when I direct, I want this guy in my movie. Uh, and this is another example that, to me, I, I feel like, you know, Martin Donovan, you know, wrote and directed this and and probably was like, this is for David Morse. You know, I, I mean, I imagine that's how it went. Um, and so I love that about it. Um, I, I like, I tend to like stagey things. So I like that about it as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I like claustrophobic kind of play-like films and, um and this is certainly that. I do think, yeah, the, the plot is a little preposterous, but um, that doesn't bother me if I'm if I'm like invested in in the actors or the characters. And I like both of these guys um, so much. I mean, you know, Martin Donovan, I know mostly from Hal Hartley movies, um, which I grew up loving a lot. And um, so this was just kind of you know, it was a a, a fun movie for me to it had kind of fallen through the cracks for me for for a little while mm -hmm. um, a fun movie to discover and just to see anytime that anybody gives david morse a meaty role mm -hmm. i'm i'm pretty happy um and it's a movie that i will see no matter what um I, you know and, and i don't think this is a perfect movie by any stretch i mean it's not a movie that's as good as inside moves um or something like that, um, or The Indian Runner, or, or you know, some of his the best films. But I, I think it's well worth seeing, if for no other reason than than to to see him, but to mm -hmm. see him and Donovan together uh, in particular. And this is, I mean, this is not, you know, I think it came out in 2011. So I, I feel like Morse is one of the few people who can pull off a character like this, and maybe post 2016 this movie would not have played mm -mm. the same. I mean, definitely wouldn't have played the same way and it wouldn't have maybe even been possible on some level. Um, but, but Morse is, is somebody who is able to bring that, that weight to a character like this and not quite make him sympathetic, but make him somebody that you are okay with watching and, and even intrigued by, um, yeah. you know, so that's, I mean, that, that's basically, that, that's the stuff that kind of jumps to, jumps to mind about it. It is, um, it's a really, you know, it's a performance that, again, you know, I think I'd say this a lot when it comes to him. I can't think of anybody else who could have made, you know, made it work in the way that he makes it work. Um, Very good points. Yeah. What were your thoughts now? Well, you can't help wondering how, in his mind, it relates to the desperate hours because yeah. it's kind of a similar a similar setup. And one of the interesting contrasts there is that his character just has so many more colors than yes. the character 
characters in the Desperate Hours because one of the things that's we you know you already warned people about spoilers. So yeah, one of the right. things that is kind of amusing in in the movie is that the uh, hostage, I guess I would say, um, it's not because of Stockholm syndrome. He genuinely is like, wait, maybe there's some ideas here that I can that I can use. And yeah. so <laughs> the way they sort of shiver back and forth in terms of who's preying on whom, I think is very interesting. And the other thing that I just think is very funny about it is that if I ever write a movie about an actor writing a movie, it would be this movie because this is a movie that is written by an actor. <laughs> this is the part I would like to play. Yeah. This situation. When you say stagey, actors love things that are stagey oh, because yeah. it lets them just act and act and act. And uh, I can't say that I like claustrophobic movies in particular, but I love talky movies. I love movies that yeah. people just sit around talking to each other. Uh, One Night in Miami, you know, My Dinner yeah. with Andre. I love those movies, you know, uh, Before Sunrise. And so this is this this fits into that category very well. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. And I, I totally love talkie movies, too. And this is kind of in a weird way, kind of a hangout movie. Um, it is. Because they're just they're just hanging out a lot. They're of hanging like, out and one of them happens to have a gun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what I mean. There's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, this could be the bar in Inside Moves. It's all connected, basically, except there's a gun. And it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it's interesting to bring up the Desperate Hours because I think we talked about that when we talked about Mickey Rourke. I mean, the I revisited that movie last year for that Mickey Rourke episode, and it's not, you know, it's not one of Mickey Rourke's better performances, but David Moore steals that movie in the few scenes yeah. he's in. And I, you know, I love I love to imagine what it, what he might have done with that mickey rourke role because mickey rourke was kind of you know he's going through a slump at that at that point mm -hmm. and um so this you can see it in this movie you know he is he is lively and 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 fun to watch despite how how terrible his character is um, in his head he's the good guy yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Which <laughs> totally is true of the you know those people who stormed the Capitol, right? I mean, I mean that's yeah. that's that's exactly his. Well, thinking. you might not know if you know this, but I live in Washington. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> believe me. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. I Nell mean, was actually there for was it the Watergate hearings? Yes, yes. I was. A, I was wow. a, a a summer intern on Capitol Hill, and I attended the Watergate hearings. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Timely stuff with a guest right down the street, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, um, I, I mean, it's 10 years old, but, um, it doesn't feel like that. I mean, it definitely feels like, um, a movie that has, I mean, I feel like it's a movie people certainly haven't really discovered. Um, and it just, yeah. and it deserves, it deserves to be discovered and seen more. It's a really interesting little film. I want to say about that movie and about the slaughter rule. I think they really need better titles. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Slaughter rule of course has nothing to do with anything violent. It has to do with trying to make sports games more fair. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just think that those, the, the, the title of that and this one really put people off. They don't know yeah. what it's about. They think it's about communism or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely agree with this one in particular. Slaughter Rule. I think, I, I think I get what they were going for. At least I don't. I, I also agree with what you're saying, though. I think it turned people off. But I think they were trying probably to say like when you've been defe so defeated in life, yeah, <laughs> right? like like, like that, <laughs> I, those I characters. I get that, but yeah, but I, I don't think it's yeah. Right. No, you're you're right. I mean, um, yeah. Totally. And the poster for this one, uh, or the maybe it's the video box art of like Morse with a gun looking crazy. It, it makes it look like desperate hours, essentially. And this is yeah. more like actors playing games with each other. And that's why it is a bit stagey. I mean, because of the heightened circumstances going on, but you're just totally into it. And I love Olivia Williams. She's always been one of my favorites. And so it's just so much fun when... Um, I wondered if she was really on the other side, if, if he got her to play off Morse or if Morse yeah, yeah. was just playing off somebody reading the lines. But there's this whole, in the movie, I should explain for people who haven't seen it, Olivia Williams is playing like a, basically like an Angelina Jolie back then or a Julia Roberts type actress, like a big name that everybody knows. 
and she had been involved with the married uh, Martin Donovan uh, character. And uh, while he's being taken hostage by his childhood neighbor, David Morse, they start talking about her and like, do you want me to get her on the phone? And then Morse is talking to her and is like, you know, in awe of, you know, it's almost like on Twitter, like, oh, James Caan loved my tweet or whatever <laughs> it was. Yes, it's that kind of thing at first. But then they get into a real interesting exchange. Like at first it's like, oh my God, I'm talking to her. But yeah, I thought that was a really cool touch too. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, I love seeing people in movies that don't get used enough and so I was really excited to see Olivia Williams and I wonder if it's like maybe he wrote it for her kind of like with Morse like I'm gonna get those people in my movie yeah yeah I mean I think that's one of the things I liked about it is you just get the sense that he that he and putting it together he was like who do I like who do I want to work with who, mm -hmm. who doesn't get enough work mm -hmm. um and the other the other woman in it is I can never remember her name the, the like the bassist from Hole right Melissa off oh yeah to, I think so yeah yeah who's not in a ton of stuff but she's got a great presence in the film too um and you know she's not in it a lot but um it's a really neat little cast and and fun, a really funny movie, I think. Um, so, yeah. It's, Olivia it's Williams, a, by the way, is in The Father with Anthony Hopkins, which comes oh, out yeah. this week. And she, of course, is wonderful as always. And, and it's a, a bit of a challenge as a role. And uh, it's great. Oh, I'm nice. looking forward yeah, to I that. Can't, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. Well, Bill, you next selected the 2013 thriller Mechanic which Morse also produced. Much like Collaborator, we see a darker, more disturbing side of Morse in this Training Day-esque movie. Yet there's a fascinating twist to his role as a manic, frankly, single-mindedly unhinged cop out to track down a just-released ex-con played in one of his final performances by the late Glee actor Corey Monteith. That once revealed about Morse, you realize is precisely the reason he must have wanted to play this role, I think. Let's face it, there's not much to the movie overall. There's a lot of cop movie cliches. It's an ugly, unsettling psycho cop story. But even before we know what's driving him, Morse is so much better than his material overall. And we just keep watching. I kind of wish that the screenwriter Daniel Noah or director Josh C. Waller would have plundered Morse's character even more because I think there's more they could have done to make his story worth telling, especially once you know the reveal that comes in late into the film. While I might have a hard time recommending this to a lot of people, and I likely wouldn't, the great thing about watching it in this context was watching this one in quick succession with the slaughter rule, for example. I think it made the films play, if not better, then work even better. As I considered them and thought about what might have inspired Morse to take them on to show different sides of masculinity. Bill, you and our mutual friend, Jed Ayers, are both big fans of the movie. I know we can't speak for Jed, of course, but what <laughs> is it about this one that made you want to focus on it today? Well, I mean, David Morris really yeah. is is it for me. I mean, you know, and the score. Actually, I love the score in this movie a oh, lot. Yeah. The Johan Johansson okay. score is beautiful. Um, okay. I mean, this was a you know there, there's 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 a you know streak of contrariness in me. I definitely like to like a movie that everybody hates sometimes. <laughs> and this this was a movie that I mean, I, it wasn't like hated on some major scale oh, no. because I think probably most people hadn't seen it but if you go online and read reviews they're they're you know very negative um and so I was I was ready you know I go into most movies unless I absolutely don't like the writer or director or actor um like I, I go in wanting to like a movie and when oh, you yeah. have somebody like David Morse in it you know I go in wanting to love a movie because I love him and so I went into this the first time I saw it ready to love it i mean it's everything that i want it's a crime story it's shot on location and in, in philly um it's david morse and it's got this score and mm -hmm. you know and I, I think you know i i can forgive it the the writing um mm -hmm. on some level because morse's performance is is so 
so engaging. Um, and I think he really, you know, really brings the material to another level. And in that way, it reminds me of some kind of 40s B-noirs that, that you know, where the, the writing is full of cliches and just characters that you've seen and stories that you've seen. And yet you have some performance that is so enchanting that you can't take your eyes off the screen. And that's what this movie is to me. I mean, I don't want to go into the, you know, I'm not really into talking shit too much. Uh, and also I don't want to talk too, too bad about like the, the writing or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, there are, yeah, there are cop movie cliches. It is mm -hmm. obviously like trying to be the French connection or, <laughs> you know, some of these kind of seventies, um, dirty cop movies that that um, are, are clearly influences on it, and um, so yeah, that stuff is not there. But Morse is just so good yeah. in it, and again brings this this tenderness to the to the part. And it is interesting watching it in quick succession with the slaughter rule yeah. because there is deep similarity between this character and that character. I think, um, and you know, even on a plot level, there's kind of yes, you know, a, a very similar thing that happens. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, when I recommend this movie, and I don't know, you know, I know Jed likes it too, but mm -hmm. I think both of us would probably recommend it uh, primarily as a David Morse yeah. vehicle. Like, this is, look at look at what you people are missing, but not giving this guy parts <laughs> like this. Imagine what he yes. would do with, like, you know, a, a lead, you know, like, uh, like a, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some film where he could have been fit in as a lead in the last 10 or 15 years but um this is one of the few really especially one of the few in the 2010s and beyond where he is the the lead performer in in this film and i, I also like that he is like a you know he's lived in philadelphia i think since 94 so he does all these yeah. kind of independent films that are shot in philadelphia and that you know involve the community and involve Philadelphia filmmakers. And uh, I think there's a real streak of, you know, independent spirit throughout his career. Like, you know, in the nineties, he shows up in all these kind of small movies and um, in, in the two thousands and 2010s, it continues and there's TV work and there's stage. He's just kind of goes where he's interested in going. And um, yeah, I mean, this, this is a, I think this is probably a film that a lot of people will not like, but nobody can tell me that David Morris is not great. No, I don't, he's I don't, you know. really good. Yeah. yeah. Now, how did you respond to it? I did not get a chance to watch it. I have to say oh, you haven't fine. persuaded me to watch it. Um, but, uh, but I will certainly think about it. You've made me more interested in watching okay. it than I was before. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I remember when I was reading about it, you, you bring up a really good point about when you look up reviews and everyone's trashing it because there's kind of this culture on Letterboxd, especially a little bit. I don't really go look at the IMDB reviews very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like the user reviews, but on Letterboxd, it's like who a battle of who can be the the meanest or the most, yeah, yeah or the clever, you know. On the internet, really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> especially as a woman, Nell, does it surprise you that sometimes guys do that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no. But on uh, there are just that's their whole raison d'etre on Letterboxd, it seems. So it's it's interesting. I think they're trying to out-clever one another. It's like, guys, just go over to Reddit and have a field day, basically. But I don't yeah. know. I'm sure you haven't because it's so obscure, but a documentary that came out last year called Feels Good Man about the guy, the poor, hapless, sweet guy who invented Pepe the Frog and then saw it. <laughs> I heard about over. that. But oh. It, it, it talks a lot about the culture of the internet and, and about this, uh, the way that it perpetuates this uh, idea that to be mean mm -hmm. is to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, and anonymous, mean and anonymous. Yeah. Great combination. Mean and anonymous. Yes. <laughs> I heard about that documentary. I'm going to have to watch that. I do recommend yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Feels good man is what it's called. Feels good man. Okay. I'm going to write that one down. But when yeah. I was looking up, um, this one, I noticed Matt Solar Seitz, actually, he did not love it, but he had an interesting take. He pointed out the cinematography 
uh, mechanic and how they were trying to do something interesting. Yeah. Like you mentioned earlier with Collaborator, with the claustrophobia. And I think they were really trying to, I mean, you feel like you're right inside that car with him or when he goes and abuses all those people to try to get info early on. I mean, it's, it's intense, but you're like right there with them. And yeah. so it's like, I guess if Cassavetes made a super violent movie, like they were trying to go for that kind of feel, like it's not super violent throughout, but just that one sequence, especially where, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. So it's training day Cassavetes. Is that, was that the pitch? But I think yeah. that's what they were going for. And so there's some interesting stuff there, especially with the uh, Johansson uh, score and like Matt pointed out the cinematography and especially Morse, but, and of course, yeah. it's really tragic. It was like the last performance or two that Corey Monteith ever did and hints at a better career to come that I'm, sadly we're not going to see. So yeah. it was an interesting I just, choice. I reread, yeah. Yeah. And and I think, you know, I just reread that Matt Solar site's review and I, I really liked his um, his writing. And, and you know, I didn't find anything. I mean, he gave it a one-star review. Yeah. And, and I didn't find anything to disagree with. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, it was accurate review. But, you know, I probably overrated it the first time I saw it just out of some, some you know, yeah. streak of contrariness. But, uh, you know, I, I think there is the, the cinematography. There are some really nice moments. But just the, the Morse performance and the score mm -hmm. are, are enough to, and it's, it's, you know, it's free. You can watch it on YouTube for free. Um, yeah. uh, you know, so, I mean, there's not really a lot keeping that I, that would, you know, say, I don't think it's a film that I would say, don't watch this. It's, it's, yeah it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, it's an ambitious film that just, you know, there it's, it's not operating on the level of the films that it wants to be. But David Morse is David Morse is absolutely operating on that level. Yes. So it, it has a central, you know, a central actor who is as good as some of those performers from the seventies. You know, your Gene Hackman's or or, or you know whatever. Um, yeah. But the movie, the movie is not. You know, the director is not Friedkin. The movie is not. <laughs> you know, whatever. No. Well, lastly, this isn't in chronological order, but it is one I wanted to save just in case we could uh, we couldn't squeeze it in, or we could. Bill, you discovered this film on Amazon Prime when you were, as usual, looking for buried treasure because that's what you're known to do, and we love that. So I'm going to let you take the floor and introduce us to the 2000 movie Diary of a City Priest. Um, yeah, so this was just a film I hadn't even heard of and i don't know i was looking up some um some background on it it might have been a tv film i'm not 100 percent sure it seems like it's not though because it played at some festivals it's short it's like 76 minutes uh, morse plays a priest um, named father john mcnamee who um works at a, a a parish in inner city philadelphia so again it's like clearly morse who lives in Philly, like working with some Philadelphia folks. Um, it's based on a memoir by, by Father John McNamee. It's um, the title obviously is a play on, on the George uh, Bernanos book, Diary of a Country Priest, which was made into a great film by mm -hmm. Robert Bresson. So, I mean, it, it really, you know, there's, there's not much to it plot-wise. It's just a character sketch. Um, but again, this is a film... Actually, I think there are some really beautiful kind of visual moments in it. But And it's a really quiet film. Um, but again, for me, it comes down to Morse's performance. And for me, this time, you know, discovering it, it was just interesting to watch it in turn with all these other... You know, I had just watched Collaborator and I just watched uh, Mechanic. And, you know, seeing him go from those bad guys to this character who is... Nice switch, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, just interested in... Like, genuinely interested in goodness. Um, uh, you know, so it was... A, it was you know, I, I don't think a lot, probably, again, I, I, I don't know, unless you really love David Morse, um, I don't know if this is a film mm -hmm. you're going to gonna go to for any reason. Um, but, 
I, again, I think that's enough. I mean, I think, you know, if you're a, if you're a David Morse kind of completist or, you know, you're itching to see David Morse in lead roles, then that's one of the really nice things about this film is this is all David Morse. It's, you know, it's, it's 100% David Morse pretty much. <laughs> um, and it's, and it's a really, you know, really quiet, lovely performance and a kind of, you know, a film that's just about uh, a priest trying to figure things out, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, yeah, Um, Yeah, it's a very unique one. I didn't love it, but I I love what it was aiming for, what it was trying to do. And Morse was very good. Now, what did you think of this movie? Well, he's just terrific in it. And it was really watching that film that made me start to think about what a good listener he is on film. Because perfect. he, He really listens beautifully. He's playing a character who is a person of very deep faith and I'm sure wanted to go into the priesthood because he wanted to bring that to the community. And he ends up being a social worker and an administrator and an accountant and a this and a that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so he's very conflicted. I think the movie suffered in a way, perhaps this was a budgetary issue, but the conversations that he has with saints really did not work for no. me. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> needed a little... Yeah, magical realism. Movie, yeah. Yeah. But there are moments in the film, and as you know from my book, I'm very big into movie moments. There are moments in the film, like the one where it all comes together and he's able to get this kid into college and get him. Yeah, it's a beautiful scene. Where Mm -hmm. he's just so filled with joy. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just a wonderful, wonderful scene. And so um, yeah, I thought it was definitely worth seeing and a beautiful again, very layered, very complex, very thoughtful performance from somebody who's not always saying what he's thinking. Yeah, I, that that scene that you're talking about is just really wonderful. Uh, a, a wonderful scene. I'm really um, probably one of maybe one of two moments, I think, where I cried mm-hmm. in, in that oh, film, which I wasn't expecting. And, you know, and him reciting that poem, it's just a yeah. really, yes. it's a, such a good he scene. He asked for permission to, to can, is it yeah. okay? <laughs> you won't make fun of me if I say a poem. It's oh, wonderful. Man. Such yeah. a good scene. The, for some reason, there's another scene in there I keep thinking about too, where the plumber finally comes mm-hmm. and he's like, how long is that hot water been dripping he's like a few months yeah. or just his, his delivery of that line of like a few months is just there's just such a sadness and weight to it and again you know such a such a a physical presence i mean he's so tall and the way he moves through the movie i think is really interesting and again in contrast especially to these bad guy parts mm-hmm. um, where he uses his physicality in a different way but to use it in this tender to, to kind of lend itself to his tenderness mm-hmm. is really a nice thing to see mm-hmm. it is i loved also it was kind of a treatise on loneliness and yeah yeah like there's a really sad scene where he's in the restaurant with others and he's looking at another table a couple being affectionate and you can tell it's just like he, there's yeah. even in the voiceover about how they're cursing men and women to a life of loneliness, even though, of course, he's a man of devout faith. But if you go into this field, you know, you do have to forsake that. And I thought it was interesting watching this, not only because it's nice to see him play a good guy after mechanic and all these other things, but there's a sense of loneliness in mechanic and in some of these other movies and yeah. i thought like that water was a, the, yeah the slaughter rule is all about that yep mm-hmm. yeah collaborator he just wants to hang out with someone and then he's yeah. gonna yeah <laughs> hold him hostage but you know okay well let me just mention then <laughs> that it's a small ish role but he's so lovely in contact yeah, oh, yeah. Jody foster and there's somebody who just is all about, particularly in his second appearance in the film, all about connecting, all about yes. reaching out. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's really oh, a great yeah. point. Somebody actually suggested it when I said I was going to write about David Morse. They were like, contact, contact. I thought, boy, if I wrote about it, you have to have like spoiler thing yeah. all over the <laughs> Netflix site. I'm like, I'm not going to have them get all mad at Netflix. So <laughs> But yeah, it's a really, I had not seen that film. I rewatched it recently 
since the theater and was struck by just how powerful he was and just so moving and his connection with his daughter. It really says everything that we've tried to say today, that if you were a supreme intelligence and you wanted to not terrify somebody, yeah. you would look like David Morse. Yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> was that Zemeckis? Zemeckis knew what was going on. Zemeckis, yes. yeah. I, I also, I haven't, seen, I haven't seen that in a long time, but I- I have to I tell remember. you, there's a, a scene in that film that was filmed in my husband's office. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. The one where she's asking for money okay. is in a big conference room that's in my husband's office. Wow. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Boy. Yeah. Six degrees of Nell here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, I want to thank you so much. Is there any other performances or films you want to recommend or talk about today that we didn't get to? Well, you talk about, I mean, your, your piece, you talk about Dancer in the Dark, which was a huge one for yeah. me too um and i love him you know I, there's all those films he pops up in like long kiss goodnight yes. and um you know which which i love um, the get, even the getaway the remake of the getaway um shot down the street from me so nice. <laughs> part of it yeah and you know and i honestly i mean he, he's one of these actors um who I, I had a stretch especially where i didn't get to see tv stuff really um especially before streaming so there's stuff of his that i really want to see that i can't see like he had a show in the early 2000s called hack really good yeah and i love both of those guys so much and it's it's hard to see that show and i missed it it was just like at this time when it was like pre-streaming and um i didn't have tv and uh so there's there's tons of tv work and of course i wish i could have seen him on broadway and the iceman cometh and the seafarer but <laughs> what an amazing varied career how about you now anything i'm going to give a very offbeat recommendation okay. that i mentioned to you guys that i happen to find by just the synchronicity of the universe i'm a big fan of the longwood gardens in pennsylvania mm-hmm. and I found on Amazon that there was a documentary about the restoration of the fountains there, which are spectacular. They're like the Bellagio. They're beyond belief. And it turns out, and so my husband and I, who'd seen the fountains, wanted to watch the documentary. David Morris is the narrator of the documentary. (laughs) And uh, what a good choice uh, to have his voice tell this remarkable story. It's called Flowing Water. And it's free for Amazon Prime. And it's got David Morse. <laughs> All right. Well, super fans are going to love this episode. And like, who shouldn't be a super fan of David Morse? Like, come on, you guys. <laughs> Watch Absolutely. some of these. Yes. Well, thank you. This was so much fun. I want to just say the door is always open. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, thank you. Thank this was a lot pleasure. of fun. I particularly love the opportunity to pay tribute to the second and third tier performers. Yes. Uh, And so I'm up for that anytime. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.